Welcome to Courageous Conversations with your host, Richard Dolan, a world-renowned speaker, mentor, and coach to many celebrity icons and global thought leaders. Listen as they share their stories and insights about what it takes to lead a courageous life, from overcoming adversity to living with purpose and meaning. Each guest brings a unique perspective that will leave you feeling empowered and motivated to make positive changes in your own life starting today. Well, hello, everybody. Good to be here. It's Richard Dolan with the one, the only, the brilliant, the beautiful, the bold and bodacious Cindy Blackman Santana. Such an honor to be seeing you right here, right now, uh, all the way in Vegas. I know that you and your husband, Carlos Santana, the legend, you're currently on residence right now on tour. And you haven't stopped in a long time. But before we get to that and what you're up to and how you are, first of all, so great to see you. Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to see you at Carson and, and thank you for this wonderful invite. Well, you know, you're not exactly a stranger to the world of all things social media. You are one of very few musicians, let alone female artists who are so connected to their community. Happy to be a part of it. Happy to be a part of the view I get and the perspective I gain. Uh, given every show you're at, the before, the after, the during, you post uh, videos of what fans see, you share and retweet, you repost everyone's vantage point. So it almost feels like I've been touring with you for a number of years. And so for that, I'm thankful. Awesome. I appreciate that. I like it. I love that this conversation is going to be about you, your career, and, and what's ahead. But before we get to a more formal introduction, before I start sharing with listeners and viewers who I've come to learn who you are and what you're likely beginning to forge into, when you hear an introduction to Cindy Blackman Santana, what do you hope people introduce you as? What do you want them to say? What would you hope would be a part of your introduction in your words? Oh, my goodness. You know, that I'm a person who loves creativity, who loves uh, impeccable integrity, and who is with her every breath, you know, uh, fighting to always uphold those standards. I love it. You know, I'm, I'm writing it down because it's such a central force. It's like the keystone of the narrative of what makes you so miraculously blessed and ingeniously creative in all aspects of what you do, which we're going to get into. But for me and from my perspective, following your work, you can't help but notice that you're pinned down, your reputation, your repertoire, your history, and, and, and I mean, your just your tracks are pinned down by some of music's greatest legends, icons, and gods, if I dare say, of music. Being in the company of such incredible names and with their gravity what does that mean to you, given that when you first started as an artist, as a musician, with your first drum set being uh, asked by a three-year-old little girl, uh, where you, you were on your hands and knees to mom and saying, please get Santa to get me a drum set. I mean, what's it like to look back at that three-year-old and say, look at us now. What's it like for you, Cindy, to be sharing the billing and to be sharing that credibility with such incredible icons? It's such an honor. You know, um, and again, it's something to uh, live up to in terms of a standard, which I love, you know, to follow in the footsteps of the greatest grace is my dream, you know, and to uphold their level of standard and to push as hard as I can to to raise that wherever possible is 
a complete honor. And it's almost, <laughs> it's almost indescribable in words because it's just such a, a great thing to, to be a part of. So it's a joy. It's a pleasure. It's, you know, my life's goal, my life's dream. And again, you know, it's just an extreme honor to be able to to converse musically with the people who I've been able to do that with, you know. And some of them were huge names and some of them were not. Some of them were just as well, just incredibly creative, incredibly proficient on their instruments. And so to be able to live in an atmosphere like that is exactly the way that I would have envisioned my life because I didn't, you know, at three years old, I had no idea what touring was. I didn't know what a band was. I didn't know what anything was. All I knew was that drums were what I wanted to play. And the feeling that I got then, which was complete joy, giggling, and just happiness is the same feeling that I get now. So, you know, with that, I'm very pleased because that hasn't changed in me. Well, you know, this is going to be a very different and likely for some people an unusual conversation with a musician such as you. Because when you say the term integrity on the outset of the conversation, and I now hear you say feeling, when I pounded on those drums, I loved the feeling is what you said. To me, that's you living life in, in integrity because you're staying true to what you love and you're staying true to the experience of life. And I don't want to get too existential or philosophical. I'll maybe just toe that line a little bit. But what I'm hearing is that here's someone who pursued a passion from the moment she was able to get her first drum set right through into the 80s, where, I mean, it was not easy to be a street performer on the streets of New York City. I mean, New York City in the 80s wasn't a place you'd want to be walking around on, let alone be performing on the streets of. But you weren't there just to make a living or make ends meet. You did what you love because of that feeling. You stayed true to what was important to you. It must have been a daunting task during that time to remain on course. It was pretty interesting, you know, let's put it that way. But the journey to me was always a great one because it was the one I wanted to be on. And what I noticed and what I was drawn to were all the icons who were all of the, the innovators you know, who were in New York, coming through New York, the different levels of, of musicianship that you had, because there were amateurs, there were semi-professionals, there were professionals, and then you had the innovators who made the music and who were still alive and well. Art Blakey, Max Roach, Philly Joe, Miles Davis, Dizzy Gillespie, these people were alive and well and walking around and playing great music. And, you know, it was incredible to see them, first of all, just to hear them on record is amazing, but to be able to see them and then also to be able to be befriended by many of them was just incredible. So the other ills of New York, I didn't even notice, you know, really. Um, I mean, I was careful because, you know, you're in a city, you're in a big city, you have to do this and you have to do that. But, you know, I was so enthralled with the scene and with what was happening that's what I keyed in on, you know, and that's what I was really drawn to. And, you know, fortunately, I never had any harsh or bad incidents in, in terms of safety. I never had anything like that. Well, you know, and, I, and first of all, God bless. That's fantastic. I'm so happy to hear that you lived and had the experience of New York at a time when not all experiences of New York in the 80s 
would go as smooth as yours did. But what you opened the door to was a question I would love to ask, if you don't mind, Cindy, that when you mentioned the names of those greats, legends and icons, and most of us, like myself, had only been blessed enough to hear most of those names on on LPs, on records, and some listening to this might even say, what, what's, what's a record? <laughs> but the music, of course, is when, as a student of the music and who was committed to performing at the levels you did, what did you do or what would you have sought in the time you had with some of these folks that you got to befriend? Was it a moment where you felt like you wanted to be a student? Were there questions that you were typically always going to ask of them? You must have, and according to many interviews and, and great coverage of your history, you must have picked up a few things from some of these greats. I'd like to know, and I think the listeners would too, how did you go about getting them to divulge some of their secrets, some of their insight, some of their wisdom? How was Cindy able to extract some of that genius during that time? Well, I love the the, the questions you're asking now, and this is another great one. I mean, firstly, I'm still a student, <laughs> and happily so, because I always want to learn something. I always want to develop. I always want to push myself to be a better Cindy. I want to be not only the best I can be, but I want to go beyond that. You know, so I'm, I'm perpetual uh, student. And, and I'm okay with that. I like that actually, because then I'm always growing. I learned a lifetime of information from everyone that I saw, you know, everyone that I was friends with, everyone who I just came in contact with, all of those icons, those geniuses that we're talking about. I learned a lifetime of, of stuff from them. And when I go back and think about things that I've seen or heard from them, or were actually given directly by them, I still learned from those things, you know? And, you know, many times I would ask direct questions, but if that was not appropriate, or if it just wasn't possible at the moment, I would just observe, you know, and I would watch, like I would watch how people led their bands. I would watch how they, you know, interacted with not only their musicians, but also the audience, the club owners, you know, everybody, I would watch the way they walked to the bandstand, the way they sat at their instruments, if it was a drummer or a piano player, and the way Ron Carter would pick up his bass and how he was at the ready as soon as he put that bass on, it was a whole nother dude, you know? The way that Tony would, would come up to the drum set and sit down, Art Blakey, the way that he would, would do that, you know? How he would interact with the fan base with, with, you know, the audience, with the band, how he would inspire them and push them, you know, and little things that they would say, you know, to do that. So I learned a whole lot. And Art Blakey, I used to babysit for his children. Uh, we became really, really good friends, even more than that, like father and daughter, you know. And um, I first met him through uh, Wallace Roney, who was, was playing with him. And um, I also met him through his daughter, Evelyn, who was a singer. And I did a gig with Evelyn and she recorded the gig and she, she gave it to him. And then he said, um, that's, I'm going to talk to her, you know? So, you know, we started talking and, you know, through, I, I went to, um, Wallace invited me to a recording session that they were doing. And it was the Art Blakey, the jazz messengers with somebody Kawasaki. I forget his name. Now was it Guy or Richie or Richie Kawasaki? I don't remember his name, a drummer, a Japanese drummer and um, an older gentleman. And uh, so I was just watching the session, you know, and at that point, 
Art didn't remember my name. He used to call me his redhead friend. And we went from that to just being really close and him inviting me to babysit for his kids, not only because he trusted me and I think kind of wanted to just take me under his wing, but also he was just trying to give me some money because he knew I was a struggling musician. So he was trying to do something to keep me, you know, inspired. And I'll never forget that, you know, I'll never forget that. And I learned so many things from him, just from watching him, from asking him questions to him telling me about shading on the ride symbol and, you know, different things, playing on a pillow and, and different stuff like that. And I mean, things that had nothing to do with really actually physically playing the drums, but just had to do with either life or the life of a musician. Because one time I was watching the children, his, his wife was in the kitchen making dinner and he was in his room packing for Europe. And he said, Cindy, come in here. And I went in there and he said, sit down. You know, and that sit down. <laughs> and of course I sat down and he had me watch him pack to see what he put in his suitcase to see what was relevant and what was not. And I was like, whoa, okay. Because at that point I hadn't been to Europe or anywhere yet. You know, I've been to New York. That <laughs> was my Europe. But he, so he had me watch to see what to pack. You know, it was incredible. I learned just tons of stuff. You know, just going to see Owen Jones play. And, you know, after I would, would come to so many shows, you know, he would look at me, <laughs> you know, and then he would say, do you know how to do this? You know, and he would do a little rudiment on the snare drum. So he did some flam taps on the snare drum. And he said, that helps your ride cymbal, you know. And so little things that people would say were just pricings. They weren't little. They were huge. I shouldn't say little things. But just the things that people were say, would say were were just priceless. And then again, as I said, you know, the rest, a lot of it was just watching and observing, you know, but definitely some, some direct questions too. Mm-hmm. Well, first, bro, by the way, I think it was Rio. Was it Rio Kawasaki? Rio Kawasaki. I believe you You could be right there. Yeah, I got him. I got him. Long hair fellow. I know you're talking about now. Uh, I, I Googled it, by the way. There's zero credit that comes my way. I love that you opened the door <laughs> Cindy, I love that you're, you're sharing so much about who you are and how you came to be. And you phrased it as in life of a musician. I love that you're sharing that some of these great, some of these icons, aside from the, what we call today, maybe the technology and the architecture of music and making it, there was also like the architecture of life and how to live as a musician, as someone who could be an effective father or a mother or a caregiver, a lover, you know, a partner in all these ways of surviving life, not just behind the drum set or the kickers, but really in front of an audience and amongst others. And so when I hear you speaking about life of a musician, describe for our friends and those listening, what's it like? Like, really, what's it like to have lived a life? And I mean, a life, your entire life, you've been a musician. What's that like? How would you describe it? Being able to walk this planet, doing what you do as you do it for the love of just doing it. It's in Incredible. It's the most exhilarating, the most inspiring position, place, and thing that I could be doing. It's like being a beacon of light because you are, you're transferring, you're channeling, you're sharing energy on such a high level that, you know, it's like you're walking this high off the ground all the time. You know, it's such an amazing thing to be a part of. It's it's really a gift because music can touch so many people. It crosses every imaginable barrier 
that we as human beings can make up to further divide ourselves. <laughs> and we haven't come up with enough reasons to divide ourselves. We got some stupid reasons and plenty of them, but music, it just breaks down all those barriers. You know, it doesn't matter what race, color, age, you know, religion, you know, what geographical location you're you're at. It, none of that, not, nothing matters. The politics don't matter, but the music can touch you. Why? Because it touches your soul, it touches your heart. And heart has nothing to do with any of that other stuff. You know, heart has to do with light. It has to do with the creator. It has to do with just the essence of pure love. And so for me, knowing that and feeling that, this is the greatest gift that the creator could have given me to be able to be a part, you know, of something so monumental and to me so important. I love that you said that. I mean, I, I rarely will tell stories about myself, but I, I just dying to tell you this because I think you'd appreciate this given what you just said. You know, my parents broke up when I was quite young. I had weekends with my father who had custody of me then. He lived on a small street and on that small street, there was a Baptist church. And I remember on Sundays, I would always be drawn as a young boy, five, six, seven years of age, drawn to this church because they were having a blast. <laughs> and, I mean, they were singing, they were always in song, and I was always just really moved by it. I was always, to your point about how music really touches the soul, I really envied that about the folks who were in a Baptist church because I was a Catholic and we would have very boring songs and it was not as exciting and it wasn't as, uh, you know, exhilarating. And, and what I want to just make sure I say by sharing that is that I'm quite connected personally, and I'm hoping that those who are watching and listening are also connected too, is music is not just something to hear, it's something to feel. And you are one of the greatest demonstrations of generating music that one is moved by. And I'm not just talking like dance music or get a rhythm. I mean, I can feel electricity inside of your performance. Assuming you agree with me, is that something that you consciously do or is it something that truly just gets authentically generated when you do perform? I think it's both. You know, I think it's there, you know, from its birth, but it's a conscious thing too, because I want to bring as much energy, as much excitement, as much electricity. And I love that you use that word because we are electrical beings. I want to bring as much light, you know, as possible through every note and every space. And when you can do that, that's when you can really affect change in people. You can affect change in things because everything has a consciousness, you know, whether it's a rock or a mountain or water or a human being or an animal. And, you know, you can affect that really. So that's unconscious and conscious, you know, it's there because that's the energy, but it's what you do with it. Yeah. I mean, it's how you direct it. No, totally. And I don't mean to interrupt you, but, you know, philosophically jamming here. We're philosophically jamming. We're in a jam session philosophically. I, like it. <laughs> um, I, I love that, you know, as a musician, it's one thing to be an expression. But what I'm getting from a conversation with you, Cindy Blackman Santana, is that it's actually not just an expression, it's an extension. And you're going to bring whatever you've got. Tell me, in watching your performances, and one, I have a riveting memory of you when you were performing for Lenny Kravitz uh, over your 18-year tenure with him. We'll get to him in a moment. But I remember being mesmerized by you. So much, in fact, that years later, I bumped into him at a Miami Heat game in Miami, Miami, Florida. And I remember having just a, a quick little moment. And I said to him, of all the things I could have, I said, man, 
Cindy Blackman on your stage rocks. What was that like? And he looked at me, he goes, when she dram, I followed. And he said something to that effect. <laughs> I mean, do you leave it all on stage? Is, do you feel spent after a performance when you generate so much, when you share so much, when you extend so much light and energy and spirit? Is it possible that when you leave that stage, you feel spent and you need a little bit of time to recharge, regroup? Or you felt or you left feeling like you're empowered and enriched in, in some way, shape, or form? I feel emotionally empowered. You know, I feel spiritually empowered. But I also feel that I need to rejuvenate because if I don't leave it all on stage, then I don't feel that I've done enough. I don't feel that I've done what I can do. You know, so I want to give every ounce of everything I've got every single time I play. And that's the way that I approach the bandstand. Because to me, the bandstand is a vehicle for prayer, really. It's a vehicle for, you know, transferring and channeling and sharing light, you know. So I put out <laughs> every single thing, every bit of energy that I've got, you know, but do you ever wear your like Apple Watch or a or a ring and, and and notice how many miles your hands have moved or how many calories you've burned or how much electricity that you've generated? Because I mean, they've been doing that across athletes and they've been doing that across speakers like the Tony Robbins of the world. How how many miles he jumps up in the air? You must generate enough electricity in a show to power a small town or village. You, you must. <laughs> I like that. You must. I, I don't need jack, but but yeah, I like I like that. I you know what? Actually, I'm gonna start thinking about it that way too. Like, how much am I able to empower? Like, how much am I able to lift? Is it makes me it makes me think of the pyramids because Carlos and I were talking the other day about how the pyramids were made and you know, and were they made from sound and you know, levitation? Is that how they were? able to lift all those rocks, how was it done? So, you know, thinking about power and generating power, you know, and extending that power from here, from here, you know, what can, how much am I lifting today? You know, am I able to take New York City and go like this to it? You know, <laughs> I like Listen, I, I mean, it's, it's all about interpretation. And as we know, interpretation is defined by the times, right? It's defined by the times. So I wouldn't put that past anybody. But speaking about the times, you did mention something. I don't want to lose it because it's, you said the word, you said the term, and it's so important today more than ever before. Before we move on a little bit more about your career and your history, if you don't mind, because I know our time is limited. You've got a show and it's, it's likely game day for you. But you said the term rejuvenate. And, and a lot of people hear rejuvenate and they think it's uh, maybe meditate and, and get grounded. Some people think it's just simple rest and nutrition. But for you, Cindy, what do you do to rejuvenate, to recharge your batteries and to restore your energy levels to the levels in which you need them to be? All of the above and more. You know, I believe in sleep. You know, I believe that rest and sleep not only rejuvenates your physical body, but it rejuvenates your spiritual body. It allows your spirit to work things out, to do things. You know, you need some time, you need that quiet time, you know, where your spirit is doing whatever it's doing, your body is just resting. And it also gives your, your body time to work things out, to heal itself, you know? So I, I believe in that. I believe in eating the best uh, nutritional foods that I can, and foods that have a purpose. 
So I, you know, I slip here and there, but I try not to eat anything that doesn't have a purpose that's positive for my body. And, you know, many people have different concepts, so I don't need to get into that, but I just do what is right for my body and for, for me, um, which actually is, is mostly plant-based. And meditation is key. Exercise is key. Developing my mind is key. So I study, I take classes, I take uh, metaphysical classes and, um, I've been studying with uh, Dr. Joel Fukram on her brain balancing uh, program, and I was invited to the advanced brain balancing program, and I just graduated. I'm the first of this crop to, the only of this crop actually, to graduate. So I even get a diploma in neurological science. <laughs> that is That is an amazing achievement. And by the way, just a sidebar, but I detected, I sensed in you something around the world of metaphysics, which is why it's interesting that our conversation gravitated towards that. And so um, thank you for trusting that direction. I definitely appreciate it. But now I can understand why, because you were pulled into the space of metaphysics. And I mean, that's not the kind of stuff that you do before going to bed. <laughs> but what, in the space of understanding rejuvenation and learning, as it sounds like it's an element, it's a dimension of rejuvenation and recreation, just a little side sidebar, what drew you to metaphysics? As you, have you always been drawn to that body of knowledge and insight? Pretty much, yes. Yeah. I've always been curious, you know, and when I was about 13, I was, <laughs> this is a funny story, I'll, I'll say it quick because I know we have other things to talk about, but I was flying a kite and it landed in the backyard of this family. And I was like, oh, shoot, you know, should I go over there on that person's grass? You know, and I, anyway, I, I went over there and I was getting my kite and a woman came out and I thought she was going to yell at me for being on her grass. And she asked me what my name was and she was very nice to me, you know, and I told her what my name was. And, you know, I said, I'm sorry, I'm just flying my kite and it landed here. She said, oh, that's okay. I just came out to meet you and, you know, say hi. And we became friends and I became um, the babysitter for their little child. And uh, this family, this husband and wife were so nice. I said, one day I said, what allows you to, to be such great people? How can you be so kind and so generous and so nice and so beautiful all the time? And she says, well, we're Baha'is, you know? And so I got really curious about what a Baha'i is, a Baha'i faith. And so she gave me some books I started reading. That got me on a, on a trek, you know, for really investigating that side of not only life, but of myself as well, you know, or shall I say that whole of myself, because it's not just a side of myself. It's not just a side of life. It's the whole of life, you know, the spirit. That's what we are. We're spiritual beings having this physical experience where we are spiritual beings. So, you know, that was really incredible for me. And, um, when I was 18, which is of age in the Baha'i community, I declared as a Baha'i. And um, before that, I had been going to like Baptist church, Methodist church. And then after that, I studied Kabbalah. I studied Falun Dafa, you know, some some different things. And, and at this point, you know, I'm kind of on, not on a denominational trek, but really on a spiritual trek for spirituality's sake, not for religious sake, but, you know, just all the things that are, are true for spirit. But it's always been something that I've been very, very interested in. And um, so then I always try to further that, you know, always looking to learn something more. But you've always, I mean, now that I know what a Baha'i is, I mean, 
you're always really nice. Like you are one of the most generous souls I've heard of and I've come to learn more about. But did it come from, like, what was your drive to learn? Was it just the exquisite curiosity of what made nice people so nice? Or was it a circumstance in your life or just surroundings or the the nature of your world that drove you to move away from, I don't want none of that, but I wouldn't mind some of this. What would have it been? What was driving you? So many things. Just, you know, the curiosity of, you know, what made people tick, you know, whether they were, you know, incredibly nice people or just, you know, beautiful souls or whether they were the opposite, you know, and then some experiences that I had along the way, you know, also made me very curious, like the passing of my grandmother, my my mother's mother. So my maternal grandmother, it was a very spiritual experience. You know, we, when she passed, we were with her holding her hand and it was not to get into detail, but it was just <laughs> really incredible. I went outside, this was in Ohio. I went outside and there was this big field, like a wheat field. And the wheat was just blowing like this in the wind. And her spirit was circulating in every thing. And it was almost like things slowed down. It was like almost like time was stopping. And I could feel her essence everywhere. And it was just, it just gave me chills. And it gave you chills. I had to, yeah, I had to really figure out how to pursue studying what I could learn about that. Mm. And on the drive, we lived in Connecticut. On the drive back home, my mom and I were driving and um, my young sister. And um, I just, everybody fell asleep in the car. My, my, my sister was asleep in the back and my mom was asleep in, in the passenger seat. And I was driving at the time. And I could feel my grandmother's spirit hovering in the trees alongside of the car. It was just so incredible. And so, you know, all that and, and other different things, you know, um, even from a younger age, just noticing certain things and feeling things spiritually, you know, having an out-of-body experience at one point when I was uh, playing in the, in the high school band, we were playing, <laughs> we're playing Hava Nagila. And that's a very repetitive part, as you know, probably. Um, and I'm playing the snare drum and all of a sudden, you know, we were in the auditorium. All of a sudden, I was up in the upper tiers of the auditorium looking down at the band and looking at myself play. And I was like, wow, I'm there, but I'm here. It was one of the deepest things. I was in the ninth grade. <laughs> so it was pretty incredible for me to experience that, you know. And then the what snapped me out of that or brought me back into body was that the the band instructor had stopped and he was commenting. I don't even know what he was commenting on, but he said, isn't that right, Cindy? And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and I didn't know what I was saying on uh-huh too, but I just said, uh-huh, because I was just so startled. I just popped back into my body. It was incredible. You know? <laughs> it, it, you know, I, uh, first of all, what was your grandmother's name? Her name was Zelda Harris. Zelda. Well, this conversation is for her. Let's, let's, let's send her some love. You know, I felt her presence and she's always here. She's always here. This, this is for Zelda. I want to make sure I make a note of her lovely name. Uh, and thank you for sharing that. I mean, it's not every day you get to hear such a touching story, but wow, we're going to move into this next part of the conversation because you hit the nail on the head, which interestingly enough, but not surprising is around this spiritual force and the nature of that phenomenon. When you research about you and your history with Lenny Kravitz, 
what one different icon legend in his own right, a small little audition via phone resulted in you then working with them for 18 years, uh, which is where I first learned of you. And then on the other side, when you look at Carlos Santana and the iconic legendary musician that he is, one can assert that both of these men are some of the most incredible spiritual beasts there are on the planet and in the world of music. And you right in the center as the lead percussionist and troublemaker, I mean, there's no mistaking and there's no coincidence that you've actually been in fact in both their lives and remain in them in such that way. Do you see this as a coincidence or a, a beautiful alignment of energy and synergy, spiritually speaking? Oh, I would say it's the latter, a, a beautiful alignment. You know, some things are just meant to happen. And you're talking about two incredibly strong <laughs> individuals, both personally and spiritually. They're they're both just really amazing. And, um, you know, Lenny, his, his confidence always impressed me and always inspired me because that guy is just like this, you know. And then when I met Carlos, I was floored because he's just like that, you know, all the time. He's just always on spiritually. He's always inspired. He's always, you know, looking to see what he can do to better someone else's life. You know, to be <laughs> a person who has played, you know, with, with both of these people. And I'm not even talking about my marriage to Carlos, but just to be associated, you know, it's pretty incredible. Because Lenny is, is, is an amazing individual and Carlos is, is really just otherworldly. He's, he's amazing. Well, and then and that, again, speaks back to the point that what you bring is what you get. And when you talk about the experiences of having outer body experiences, even while performing, and even sensing, noting, and, and likely knowing the energy you put out, it's almost like, and I'm going to really just go there. It's, it's a very daring statement, but it's almost like, you bring this energy source and you're lending it to the audience. And it's almost like you're painting that whole room with your brush called a drumstick and all of the wonderful instruments that you play at your drum set. You're laminating the room with all of that magic and you're, you're lending it. And at the end of the night, you retrieve what wishes to come with you because not everyone takes the energy. Not everyone is able to honor the energy. Not everyone is able to know what to do with the energy. Well, some people bathe in it. And as a result, it really does explain why every time you play, it feels so darn spiritually awakening that when you research that phenomenon, a lot of your fans across many of your posts feel alive, awakened, or energized. Is that a coincidence? I hope not, because that's certainly, you know, one of my goals. So I, I love that because that's what you want to do. You want to make people feel, you know, you want people to feel their hearts. You want people to feel their souls. You want people to feel inspired, you know, so that's it. <laughs> well, and, and, I, and I love that we're wrapping up the conversation because it's amazing how time has flown while getting to learn, uh, not just having fun. I'm, I'm really learning much more about life because of you and through you. So thank you for that. But but as we talked about letting, and, and even now your husband, Mr. Carlos Santana, I mean, talk about people who've performed and would always look as though they're a walking demonstration, a performing demonstration of being inspired, like they're embodying inspiration. You do that too in your performances. And there's never not been one that you've not been a real true demonstration of being inspired. How do people do what they do in life, embodying inspiration with your new 
diploma in metaphysics through the Brain Balance Program, knowing your history as a Baha'i. I mean, with all of what you've learned, what would be your suggestion, perhaps even advice or imparted wisdom? Like as if we were packing for our first trip to Europe, like you learned so long ago, how would someone be inspired, be the embodiment of inspiration that whatever they might do, whether they're a mom or whether they're a caregiver, whether they're a filmmaker or whether they're an athlete or, or just they put bricks together for a living, whatever it is that they're doing, what would be your advice for them to be able to tap into that and embody the kind of inspiration that you, your husband and, and those that you've performed alongside of obviously do? Live in pure love. Mm. Live with the intention of giving, spreading, and being pure love in any situation. And you can never go wrong. I love it. I love speaking of love. I love it. Um, I promise you a, a very short and very insightful conversation. And I got to tell you, it feels like we're just getting started. There's so much more about you. There's so many layers and I, I feel you. I feel a sense of preservation, self-preservation, because there's so much more of you that we can find out and discover. And I know musically that could be discovered there, but we're going to put a pin in this one and say that perhaps we can have another conversation to go one layer deeper, perhaps, and talk about metaphysics and talk about the dimensions of experiencing life in a way in which you have, in fact, lived. And I think that that's where a lot of inspiration might live for others to learn more about themselves to how you've been able to live yourself, if you're okay with that. Oh, are you kidding? I'd love it. This has been a fantastic conversation. I'd love to talk more. It does feel like we are just getting started and it feels like we've been speaking for about two minutes. <laughs> it, it's so true. It's so true. And, and I'll say this maybe as, as a form of wrap up. I love that you left off on the term love. If there's anything I can say, and I'll say this right now, not just as a thank you, because thank you isn't big enough for what's brought you and I here as a fan, as a friend, as a follower, and a very faithful champion for people who really are truly a source of inspiration and love. I have got to say thank you in a bigger way. And the best way to do that is to share more of who you are to the world that's really desperate and yearning for it. At a time that we've lost a sense of ourselves, direction, we've lost track of what's right and wrong, we've followed the dollar signs and not the meaningful signs, we really are looking for people who can just sort of reground us, represence us, uh, reclaim ourselves in a way that's meaningful for ourselves and our lives. And Cindy, you're one of those people, people that are just a constant, consistent reminder for how great life can be lived. And you do it in your way. It's called being a musician, also a wife, also a leader, but also a great inspiration. And for all of that, I wanted to say thank you so much for trusting me, for clearly loving me, and the opportunity of being in a conversation. And for all of that, I just want you to know I'm humbled and acknowledge you for what it takes to be here with me. So thank you. Oh, vice versa. Thank you. This is an honor. And I think you're really amazing. Thank you for asking such incredible questions and allowing this conversation to happen. Well, it is your conversation and I just look forward to the next one. So listen, good luck in Las Vegas. You don't need any of it because you got everything that it takes. Uh, folks, this has been an incredible honor to be here with Cindy Blackman Santana, uh, a wonderful woman. Much more to come, much more to learn. Uh, thanking her, wishing her and her husband, Carlos, a wonderful uh, series of shows and her residency in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm sure if you've not checked out yet, uh, you can go to her website or the Carlos Santana website and find out more about their tours in 2023. But from my perspective, this has been a beautiful start to a greater conversation. So thank you, Cindy. Thank you so much. 
Thanks for tuning in to Courageous Conversations with Richard Dolan. We're on all the major podcast platforms, and we appreciate your support by reviewing us. You can follow our show at The Rich World on many social media channels. We hope that listeners like yourself enjoyed this episode, and remember to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or whatever other streaming services are available, because we cannot wait to bring you more valuable content that can make a difference in your life.